Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we discuss cases that involve corruption and negligence from the people that we are expected to trust. These cases range from the police ignoring protocol to corporation placing people's lives in jeopardy in order to maximize profit. Today, I'm drinking a mojito. How about you, Jenny? I'm drinking some apple wine from a local winery. On this week's episode, we're discussing an infamous case of corporate negligence, the McDonald's hot coffee lawsuit. You may think you know the story, but we can guarantee you don't have all the facts. Stella Liebeck was a 79-year-old widow and retiree who had recently moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico to be close with her family. On February 27, 1992, her grandson drove Stella to McDonald's for breakfast and coffee. After they got their food in the drive-thru, Her grandson pulled over and parked in the parking lot so Stella could put sugar in her coffee. Stella's grandson drove a Ford Probe, which didn't have cup holders, and she decided to hold the coffee between her knees. As she took the lid off, the cup spilled back and burnt Stella. She was wearing cotton sweatpants at the time, which absorbed the coffee and gave her third-degree burns on 6% of her body in only three seconds. Stella went into shock, and her grandson rushed her to the hospital. She was hospitalized for eight days and lost 20% of her body weight during her hospital stay. She needed skin graft surgery, and a total of 16% of her body was burned, including her thighs and genitals. The doctor who treated her said her burns were some of the worst he'd seen, and it took her two years to fully recover. As Stella regained her health, she sent a letter to McDonald's asking them to check the temperature of their coffee and requested them to pay her $20,000 in medical bills. McDonald's refused to lower the temperature and agreed to pay her $800. Stella tried to settle out of court twice with McDonald's, but they refused and left her no other option than to go to trial in 1994. Her lawyer argued that McDonald's coffee was, quote, unreasonably dangerous because it was excessively hot and the defendants were liable for her physical and mental harm, and that McDonald's had a, quote, duty to test and inspect the product for unreasonably dangerous conditions. During the trial, a quality assurance manager for McDonald's testified that he believed that the McDonald's Corporation was aware of the dangers that were associated with serving coffee at hot temperatures. He also testified that consumers could be unaware of the extent of the risk of serious burns and that McDonald's coffee was not fit for consumption because when poured into the styrofoam cups, the heat was high enough to cause burn. Between 1982 and 1992, McDonald's received burn complaints from 700 people, including children, and had paid out more than $500,000 in damages. Some of these complaints were caused by coffee spilled by McDonald's employees. However, the company was serving billions of cups of coffee a year and didn't see those 700 complaints as significant enough to change the temperature. The company was serving coffee at 190 degrees Fahrenheit, which is near boiling. They claimed it was a quality control measure and industry standard. They also claimed that if they lowered the temperature, customers would complain. The 12 members of the jury felt that McDonald's was callous throughout the trial and didn't seem to care about the injuries they caused.
They concluded McDonald's handling of its coffee was irresponsible and awarded Stella $200,000 in compensation for medical costs, which was reduced to $160,000 because they found her 20% at fault for the incident. They also awarded her $2.7 million about the amount of earnings from two days' worth of McDonald's coffee and punitive damages in order to send a message to McDonald's. The trial judge reduced this to $480,000, even though he called McDonald's behavior reckless. The final settlement was an undisclosed amount believed to be less than $500,000 in total. In order to reduce the likelihood of being sued again, McDonald's placed better warning labels on their hot beverages. Other merchants that served hot beverages followed. Stella's case was one of the rare instances where an average citizen took a massive corporation's bad practices to task, won, and made the world safer. But in the court of public opinion, McDonald's was the victim. McDonald's actually led a misinformation campaign in order to devalue Stella's injuries and avoid public backlash. They even went as far to hire protesters at the trial. The media grabbed onto the case and spread the news that a woman made $2.7 million after spilling coffee on herself while driving, which, as we said, was not the truth. People argued that, of course, coffee is hot, and everyone knows that it can burn you. Stella was the butt of late-night talk show jokes, and the lawsuit was referenced in a Seinfeld episode and a Toby Keith song, among other things. She was painted as a greedy villain taking advantage of the system. Consumer advocates say the distorted narrative picked up speed because business interests and some lawmakers used it as a way to create a public belief that frivolous lawsuits were common and that jury verdicts were running amok, all in an effort to advance a tort reform agenda that limits consumers' ability to hold wrongdoers accountable. University of Washington professor Michael McCann said, quote, the last several decades, large corporations afraid of being sued for making unsafe products created front groups like Citizens Against Lawsuit Abuse to turn public opinion against lawsuits, end quote. Stella's winnings allowed her family to pay for a home health aid toward the end of her life, but the backlash and lawsuit took a massive toll on Stella. She died in 2004 at the age of 91. So I am of the opinion that this is a classic case of a frivolous lawsuit and that McDonald's did not do anything that rose to the level of a lawsuit. According to the court, the warning sign that stated the beverage was hot was too small. Something else that is important to note is that the settlement did not involve an admission of guilt on McDonald's part. Settlements are a typical part of the civil legal process in a similar way that plea bargains are commonplace in the criminal justice system. This case rightly led to tort reform, which included cap limits. These cap limits focused on limiting the amount someone could be awarded in punitive damages. I do want to add that failures in other parts of the legal system get most of the attention, but tort reform is important because the cost of frivolous lawsuits are passed on to consumers in numerous ways. Tort reform is also important because successfully suing tends to open the floodgates for more lawsuits. One example is the 1998 case against coffee maker manufacturer Burnomatic. It was dismissed and the judge ruled that at 197 Fahrenheit, hot coffee was not, quote, unreasonably dangerous. McDonald's was also sued again in 2002 in England for serving hot coffee. The court ruled, quote, there is no evidence that McDonald's serving temperature was unusually hot compared to the serving temperature adopted by other similar restaurants. They also found, quote, difficulty with the plaintiff's submission that tea and coffee should be served at 70 degrees Celsius. 
because the plaintiff, quote, has no experience in the field of serving hot drinks for consumption in restaurants. His view that the drink should have been served at this temperature is therefore not supported by any relevant expertise on his part. You're right, Del. We do have different thoughts because I do think McDonald's should have been held accountable. Um, I, I agree with the jury that Stella was obviously at fault, too, because she shouldn't have been keeping the coffee between her legs. But McDonald's knew how dangerous their coffee could have been. They had had 700 other complaints. And I know they said they were serving so many cups of coffee that I guess statistically that wasn't that significant. But people were getting hurt. And they let that happen. One of the big aspects of the case regarding the temperature and what her, um, I think, part of Stella's team argued is that at 190 degrees, you can get burned very quickly. Whereas at a lower temperature, you can still get burned at third degree burns, but it takes longer. And that time is usually long enough for you to wipe the coffee off or to clean yourself and you'll be okay. So That's kind of where I'm coming from. I also, I know I am very biased. I don't like corporations. Um, I don't like Jeff Bezos. I don't like Amazon. I don't really like McDonald's. I eat there sometimes. So um, I know it's hard to find a good corporation, but that's my opinion. And you'll see that throughout. And we're not here to convince you one way or another. We want everyone to hear our discussion, hear the facts and to think for themselves. Dissect it for yourself. Learn the facts. See, let us know what you think. Disclaimer. We are not lawyers. We are commentators. This does not serve as any type of legal advice. We're not speaking in that capacity. So let's move into one of the main questions that lies at the heart of this case. Where does the fault lay with personal injury claims and the question of the legitimate lawsuit versus this being a frivolous lawsuit? So a frivolous lawsuit can be defined as any lawsuit that is filed with the intention of harassing, annoying, or disturbing the opposite party. Uh, It has no basis in law or fact and has no legal merit. And many of these lawsuits that are considered frivolous are personal injury laws. I'm sure everyone in the United States has seen commercials for personal injury lawyers, and when we see them, we imagine scammers taking advantage, people with fake injuries, people winning so much money that they never have to work again. But I'm kind of not sure what to believe now. Um, So the University of Washington professor Michael McCann has said that some of the best social science evidence has shown that the number of personal injury lawsuits in recent decades has declined and the median payout is only $55,000. So I'm not really sure what to believe. I know we talked about McDonald's leading this you know, misinformation campaign. And I kind of think maybe I was just fed that for so long and it's not true. And I got to kind of readjust my thinking. And going off the personal injury lawsuits, only 5% of these cases actually go to trial. And one of the biggest factors for so many pretrial settlements is due to the fact that a trial can drag out over the course of several years. And in that time frame, personal injury victims often experience the loss of a job and they're in dire financial consequences due to all the bills they have to pay. And I think before we get into tort reform, I have to mention one of the weirdest things to come out of this case, and that's the Stella Awards. The name was inspired by Stella, but according to Snopes.com, these lawsuits are all fake. Uh, If you go to the actual websites, you can see that the lawsuits are alleged to be real. Now, this doesn't mean that there's not actual frivolous lawsuits. Uh, I'll give you 
one example. So in 1992, Karen Norman, she backed her car into a bay at was drink. She couldn't get her seatbelt unlocked, and so she drowned. A passenger that was in the car managed to make it to shore. Her parents ended up suing Honda and claimed that they were wrong because their drunk daughter couldn't operate the seatbelts, which is why she drowned. A jury found Honda 75% responsible for Cameron's death and awarded the Norman family $65 million. Luckily, an appeals court throughout the case. And you can look up plenty of cases like this where it's like, wait, whose fault is this actually? Um, and why is this the amount that is being awarded in this case? I will say that is pretty crazy. And how do you, it's so hard to say someone is 20% at fault. Someone is 75% at fault. That seems kind of arbitrary too. Um, but I will say, we're going to go back to the McDonald's case real quick, that there was some type of significance with the punitive damages settlement, or not settlement, but the punitive damages, because it was two days worth of McDonald's coffee cup sales, and the jury thought that would send some type of message, which I can understand that. Right. So, yes, in their case, they came up with what I still consider arbitrary, because why two days? You know? Why not three? You're trying to send a message? Why not a week's worth? And what was it connected to? You said it was connected to making them pay. But is that what our legal system is for? Or is it to make the victim whole? So if it was a situation of her presenting her medical bills and things like that, then I'm with you. Okay, let's figure out who's at fault, where they're at fault. But I think that when you're looking at punitive damages, you, you have to look at it from a perspective of it has to be some sort of fair system to make sure that people are not getting million dollar settlements for things that are quite frankly not worth a million dollars. Even her initial ask was for $20,000. Which was her medical bills. It was estimated to, between, to be between $10,000 and $20,000. So there is that. Um, I will say, maybe this is very pessimistic, but McDonald's is such a massive corporation. I don't know if $2.7 million would, you know, make them think, make them look at what they did. I don't really know what any amount could do with knowing how much money they have. And I agree with you. That's why I completely disagree with the system of using punitive damages to make corporations or other high net worth individuals pay. Because what seems like a lot of money to us and $2.7 million seems like a lot of money. It's nothing to a corporation. It's nothing to a high net worth individual. Jeff Bezos probably sneezes that out every morning and it means absolutely nothing to him. So why would people even think that it could be a thing of making them pay? Also, something I want to mention is that a lot of times this gets underwritten by their insurance company anyway. So they're actually not even feeling the whole effect of that. Because they have insurance for stuff like this. That's a really good point. And we're going to talk a little more about insurance companies in a second. Let's move into tort reform because this case was definitely used as the gas pedal in a lot of states for tort reform. 
And just to go over some basic terminology, a tort is a wrongdoing that results in an injury or damage to property. They're handled in civil court, and sometimes a singular act can be both a tort and a crime. So think of assault and battery. That is both a claim you can have in civil court and sue the person that hit you. You can also be charged in criminal court for assault and battery. This case caused a call for tort reform in the U.S., which was led by Republican politicians. Former Ohio Governor John Kasich, he ran for president in the last election, described this case in particular and said, Lady goes to a fast food restaurant, puts coffee in her lap, burns her legs, and sues and gets a big settlement. That in and of itself is enough to tell you why we need tort reform. Which when you put it in those simplified terms, I can see that. I, I get it. Um, but Ralph Nader created the Tort Law Museum in Connecticut, and he was very active against the tort reform. He did not agree with it. And he said, quote, tort law is being run into the ground, maligned, caricatured and slandered because it's effective, end quote. And he called the reform movement, quote, the cruelest movement I've ever encountered. End quote. There are so many things that happen within the realm of the legal system. So if Ralph Nader thinks that tort reform is the worst thing that's ever happened in the context <laughs> of the legal system, I think he needs to read a book. So it should be noted that there are caps on tort damages in some states, Del, you kind of mentioned that earlier, and caps are intended to stop frivolous lawsuits, but many allege that they actually do more harm than good. Uh, insurance companies are also leaders of tort reform, and caps on these cases bring in more money for insurance companies. So like I said, I have a bias against corporations and insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies are in there. I don't like them. One of the things that's very important to bring up is that it's almost always focused on punitive damages, not compensatory damages. And just so you guys know what the difference between the two is, compensatory damages are also known as actual damages. It's tied to what actually your tort is. So, for example, in Stella's case, her compensatory damages were her medical bills. The punitive damages were the $2.7 million. Those were the, we're going to teach McDonald's a lesson damages. So cap limits try to say, well, fine, we'll give you the money for your compensatory damages, but we are going to limit how much you can get in punitive damages and most of the time they tie those two together to say that the total damages awarded is for example $250,000 and that combines compensatory and punitive damages. So this is a very complex and big issue. It's way bigger than what we can cover in the podcast um, but we do have to remember that corporations are paying some politicians to support their agenda. This is something, any agenda really, it's a Republican and a Democrat issue. I know it's a big reason why so many people don't trust politicians. They feel funny about voting and whatnot. So we have to talk about corporate accountability when we mention that, we mentioned tort reform, we mentioned some of these frivolous lawsuits. So tort cases do sometimes hold corporations accountable. They're not just limited to that, but it is something that they cover depending on the case. And two examples of this are Grimshaw versus Ford. It was a personal injury tort that showed Ford rushed the production process of the Ford Pinto and knowingly endangered the lives of Pinto owners. The gas tanks, I guess, were known to explode. 
And this case came after um, there was a car accident. A woman was rear-ended, I believe, trying to get onto a highway. And she was driving a Ford Pinto and her car exploded. She died in the accident. And the 13-year-old that was in the car with her was severely burned and disfigured. His or her family sued. And, you know, this is they got some justice, which is great to see. Um, And big tobacco cases are also some tort reform cases. cases as well people are saying that there's not clear warning signs there's advertising to children there's too much advertising for tobacco cases there's a lot of these i encourage everyone to look into them for themselves and then this i don't believe is a tort case but it is a corporate accountability case that i find interesting um the movie dark waters came out i think earlier this year and it was about the dupont case Uh, a dupont plant in west virginia was contaminating a town's water supply and the DuPont company covered it up. Uh, It was affecting people's health and well-being. Farmers, um, livestock was dying and getting ill because of it. And, you know, these people took DuPont to task and they want a settlement. So that's really great to see that kind of corporate accountability. So it's no surprise that corporations put customers, workers, citizens, etc., their lives in danger in order to benefit themselves. We say this in the opening of our episodes too, you know, whether they're destroying people's health, the planet, human rights, anything in the process, uh, they need to be held accountable in some way, in my opinion. And I agree that corporate accountability is a very important, I definitely believe in being a compassionate capitalist. And I think that all corporations definitely need to find a way to balance being a a corporation and making a profit and making sure that you're not doing active damage to the people and environment around you. I like that. A conscious capitalist or compassionate capitalist. That's a nice, nice words to live by in our society. We've talked about torts and frivolous lawsuits, and these are issues that people think are within the civil legal system within the United States. Um, And I do see merit with that, but there are also, I think, some major, more significant problems that we're seeing, and this is more with the criminal justice system in the country. Um, This is my opinion, but I felt that it was uh, relevant to share. We're talking about these cases being, you know, epidemics, these frivolous lawsuits, but I think that there's maybe more we can be worried about. The United States has really crazy racial disparities within the criminal justice system. African-American adults are 5.9 times more likely to be incarcerated than white adults, and Hispanic adults are 3.1 times more likely than white adults. Bail reform is an issue. Um, Nearly half a million unconvicted people are confined in jails on any given day just because they can't afford to pay their bail. Private prisons are a major issue, too. Uh, In the U.S., private prisons represent 8.2% of the total state and federal prison population. Since 2000, the number of people housed in private prisons has increased by 39%. I'm not sure throughout the world who else is using private prisons, um, but private prisons use prison labor to offset costs, and many equate this to modern-day slavery. Uh, So that's some food 
for thought for everyone. And in the U.S., we incarcerate more people per capita than any other country in the world. I think another important stat to bring up when thinking about our prison population is the fact that the United States makes up approximately 5% of the world's population, but we account for 25% of the world's prison population. It's so wild when you hear these statistics. Prison reform is something I'm very passionate about, and we're probably going to get into that soonish. When we talk about Stella's case, we can't forget to mention media sensationalism and not sharing the whole story with the public. Like we said, the media grabbed onto this case, but they didn't share the whole story. This is an instance of the media sensationalizing a story and losing the facts in the process. The headline of this story is more interesting without all the facts and maybe easier for the average citizen to swallow. They painted Stella as a villain and that headline of woman spills coffee, burns herself in stews is kind of shocking and controversial. You know, it gets people talking, gets people's attention, which is what sells and what what gets people to tune in, frankly. And I'm going to get maybe a little on my soapbox and get a little biased here again. But it's obvious to me that the McDonald's lawyers and PR team had a major influence on the media, too. This misinformation campaign was very powerful. And they made Stella into a joke. And again, that's how the public, they can respond to things like that. And it really brings into play the idea of the court of public opinion, which I'm sure we'll talk about on many other cases, too. But Stella clearly lost in the court of public opinion. And it kind of surprises me because... Stella was a stereotypically a little old lady. She was a widow. She was retired. She was moving to be close with her family. And you'd think people would have more sympathy for someone in that position. And I will say, I don't think the extent of her injuries were really made known in the media. And I think that could have helped her case. I don't necessarily encourage people to look the photos of her burns, but they're very shocking and hard to see to think a cup of coffee burned her so badly is crazy it's hard to swallow like i said and again this is my opinion but for this case in particular i don't really understand why people were so quick to defend a company i guess it's because they really felt like stella was at fault which i do think like i said she shouldn't have had the coffee between her legs what i would personally like everyone to remember with this case is to view media critically to question things and to research things for yourself whether it's this kind of case, whether it's maybe an article you see on Facebook, just use your common sense. Try to research more into things before you state it as fact. So that wraps up this week's case. Thank you so much for listening. Let us know what you think about the McDonald's hot coffee lawsuits and other lawsuits aimed at corporate accountability. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday with a new episode. Make sure you leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you can give. This is Janine Dell signing off. Stay safe.